Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Watauga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. We're going to continue in our study of John chapter 9, and it's not completely unrelated to that. It's a a story of the man who was blind from birth, and all of John chapter 9 deals with this issue. We're going to look at just the first 12 verses today, and then we'll look at verses 13 uh, through the end of the chapter with the uh, kind of what happened after uh, he was healed, and we'll get to see the results of it. But this, this chapter begins with this intriguing question, what is it that causes suffering? The disciples asked that question of Jesus, why was this man blind? Was it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And oftentimes, uh, that's kind of where we're coming from. Uh, we start looking for what the cause of suffering is, because if we can explain it away, it makes us feel a little bit more comfortable. This passage is extremely meaningful to me. Uh, a little over 30 years ago, I had just taught on this passage in a Sunday school class at Locker First Baptist Church. Locker was a church that ran about 10, and uh, it was a, a, a small group of people that kept the doors open, so I, as a young pastor, and they, I wasn't the first, uh, but as a young pastor, I'd have a place to preach, and I could kind of cut my teeth. It's about 30 miles south of Brownwood, and, and so I taught a, an adult Sunday school class that morning uh, on a particular Sunday morning on John chapter 9, and then that week, Katie went into the hospital, and Katie, in that hospitalization, was in the hospital for over two months. It was one of the worst, most difficult times of, of our life. She was in and out of ICU a couple times, and during the, an extended ICU stay, we were in the ICU waiting room, and we were having a discussion about our faith with an older couple that was there uh, that were visiting their grandchild who was there in, the, in that uh, ICU as well. And I noticed that there was a young lady that was sitting kind of off to the side. And, and after that older couple had got up and left, this young lady came over and asked if she could talk to us for a little bit. And she said that she felt like that, that we were somebody that was accessible, maybe she could ask some questions of. And, and so we began to talk to her about first learning about her child. She had a little boy that was almost three years old. He had a lot of the same birth defects that Katie had. And he was very unusual. He was dextrocardia. His heart was on the wrong side of his body and flipped backwards and just like Katie's. He had some of the same uh, problems with swallowing that Katie had. So he, there were a lot of the, the, the problems that Katie had that he had. He was waiting on a liver transplant. Katie was needing a kidney transplant. So it was a little bit different there. But he, he was having, I mean, he had been through over 20 surgeries uh, in his young life. And, and so we really, uh, you know, our hearts felt compassion for her. And then she asked me, she said, do you think that he has all of these problems because of my sin. <laughs> I said, no. I said, I can say with confidence that that's not why your son has all of these health issues, that he was born with these, because I just taught that from God's word last week. God's word says that it's not because of our sin, but God will use it for his glory. And she said, well, I only have, there's only one Christian in my whole family. There's only one person that I know even that I'm close to that is a Christian, and it's, it's an aunt. And, 
my aunt told me that because I got pregnant out of wedlock, that's why my son has all of these birth defects. Of course, my heart was broken. And I was able to share the good news of Christ with her there in that ICU waiting room. Jesus tells us right here that it's not because of that specific sin. And yet, I'm afraid that that aunt is not a lot unlike a lot of us as Christians. When we see someone who's suffering, we see someone who's going through a tough time, whatever the, whatever's going on, the first thing that we'll ask is, why? Do they deserve it? And, and, and we'll even begin to try to calculate our theological reasons for that suffering because if we can place blame or if we can come up with a theological reason that that person is in that position, then we don't have to deal with it. Jesus' first response was not to look at the, the, the underlying theological issue. Jesus' first response was grace. I want you to read this story with me. Acts chapter, I mean, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he left, and he washed, and he came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. <laughs> so they asked him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. Now we're going to stop the reading of the story right there for this week because from there we get to see the results of what happens. We see this man move deeper and deeper along that progress of faith. And we see many others that are impacted uh, by what happened there with Jesus' healing of this blind man. But there is plenty here in these 12 verses for us to dig into. And so I want to begin right there at the, at, at the very first phrase, the first verse, when the scripture says, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. I want you to notice something about that particular verse. The disciples then, in verse 2, asked a question. But the scripture doesn't say the disciples saw the man. The scripture says, as he was passing by, Jesus saw the man. Now, this, it may sound like a little thing, but I think this is crucially important. I think the disciples walking along with Jesus essentially did what we would want to do when we see a beggar laying there who's blind from birth and just kind of turn our eyes away from him. Maybe we see him out of the corner of our eyes and we just keep on going. The scripture specifically says Jesus saw the man. 
We will never be moved for compassion for those who are lost and died. We'll never have our hearts moved for those who are in need unless we first see the person and their need. Jesus saw him. One of the greatest passages or examples of this comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through the end of the chapter there in Matthew 9, where the scripture says Jesus was going about healing and he's preaching, he's teaching in various places, and there comes a point where he's up on a hillside and he looks down upon the crowds, and the scriptures say he was moved with compassion because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the man. He focused his attention on that man and on that man's needs. If we don't take time to see people for who they are, we will never be moved with the heart of God to make a difference. In fact, it's so much easier for us to categorize people. We want to put them in a category of politics or a category of religious thought or a category of doctrine. And if we can categorize them this way, then we don't have to deal with them as a person. And that's what the disciples were trying to do. They were trying to categorize him. They were trying to put him in one category. Okay, Jesus, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? We want to know. They, they were trying to figure that out. They were, they were wanting to put him in one place or the other because if they could identify the cause of his blindness, it helps us. If, if we can identify why somebody is going through a struggle, we can say, oh, okay, well, I'm not like that person. I will never have to deal with that. I won't, but because I'm not like them. And, and so we want to we determine the reason. So the first question that, that I want to have here is, do you see people? Do you see the hurting? Do you see those who are lost? Second question is, how do we see those who are suffering? Do you see someone who is, when you see someone who is suffering, is your first reaction to ask how they got in that mess? Or is your first response to help them get out of the mess? Is your first thought, how did they get in that? I wonder what they did to end up on the side of the road. I wonder what they're, well, you know, how they got in that. I wonder if they're doing drugs. I wonder if they're doing this or they're doing. Our, our, our first question, our first response far too often is to ask how they got in the mess. Jesus didn't even want to address it. Jesus wanted to help the guy out of his mess. That was his first thought. Now, another question is, what is the cause of suffering? You know, that's the big question that, that gets dropped oftentimes. Why is there evil in this world? Why is there suffering? Why do people have to hurt? Well, the bottom line is, sometimes I suffer because I sin. Sometimes I suffer because I do stupid stuff and I bring it on myself. Sometimes my bank account's empty because I spent money on stuff I shouldn't have spent it on. Right? Sometimes I get in trouble with my wife because I say something I shouldn't have said. Sometimes people end up in prison because they did something they shouldn't have done. Sometimes people get cancer because they put something in their body that they shouldn't have put in their body, right? So yes, sometimes our sin causes suffering. But sometimes other people's sin causes our suffering. Sometimes the, the, the 
person who died in the auto accident, it wasn't because of their sin, it's because of the drunk driver who sideswiped them. Sometimes other people's sin causes suffering. Yes. And sometimes it's just because of the world we live in, right? I think ultimately you can make the argument, and I think that the argument is true, that all suffering in this world in some way or another can be taken back to sin, whether it's Adam's sin or Eve's sin or the, 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 the su- suffering that's coming to this, in this world. So yes, you could try to detail and delineate that and ask the question, who sinned that this guy was born blind? You know, I always think that that's a stupid question anyway. Who sinned that he was born blind, his parents or him? How did he sin? He was born blind. And that yet the Jews had a theology that one could sin in the womb and sin in the womb could cause them harm. And they point back to Jacob and Esau. Yes, sin can cause suffering. But here's the bottom line. Jesus wasn't concerned about how he got there. Jesus was concerned about extending grace to get him out of there. Aren't you glad? Because there's enough sin in my life. There are enough things that I've said that I've done, enough times I've been disobedient to God, and and God knows there's enough filth and garbage in my own heart, secret things that I've thought or imagined or done, that I'd be completely disqualified from a relationship with him. God's response to me is not blame, it's grace. And that was Jesus' first response to this man. The disciples were more concerned about assigning blame or trying to discuss their theology. Jesus immediately went to grace. Jesus immediately reached out to touch that man and said, you know what? It doesn't matter. What matters is God is going to use this to do a work. God has a purpose For this man's life, he has a purpose even for this man's suffering that he's going to use for his glory. Praise be to God for that. Regardless of what mess we're in, God has a desire and and, and purposes to use our life for his glory. That he might be honored. Here's the bottom line. Far too often when religion or we get involved, blame categorization, theology is the first place we go. When Jesus is involved, grace is always king. Jesus died on the cross so that he could extend grace to cover our sins, to wash away our sins, to take our sin on his shoulders so that we could have hope of eternal life. When it comes to Jesus, grace is always what matters. What are we going to focus on? Are we going to focus on blame, our theology, or are we going to focus on God's grace? I'd suggest that if we're going to be obedient and walk as Christ walked, we're going to focus on grace. As you move through this story, the next thing that you see is just this idea that God delights in opening the eyes of the blind. He's already said it here. Jesus says, uh, I've got to get to work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And I love how he goes about this because he did it unlike he, he healed other guys from blindness. He healed other people that, that were deaf or mute. 
This is the only time he spit in the dirt, made a paste, and stuck it on somebody's eyes. I love that about this story. Jesus spits in the ground, he makes the mud, and he sticks it on the guy's eyes. And, and, and in doing that, one of the things that I'm reminded of is it's not about the formula. It, you know, I, I see far too often in our, our churches and in particular denominations, we like, to, we like to have that formula that we can go back on. So, hey, maybe if I go spit in the mud and, and, and make a paste out of it and put on somebody's eyes, they can see, right? If I just say the right words, then God has to do something. You know what? Try it. I bet you're not going to be received very well. Jesus healed various people in various ways because I think he wanted to help us to understand that it's not about the the process, it's not about the formula, it's about the power of God at work. God is the one who heals. God is the one who brings people out of blindness. God is the one who can fill the Baptist tree. It's the power of God that we, we so desperately, desperately need. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This isn't the first time he said it. Kevin preached from John chapter 8, the previous uh, chapter, just a couple weeks ago, where Jesus had a, had a section where he talked about him being the light of the world. Jesus is going to bring it up again in John chapter 12. He's going to bring it up again later on. John, the author of the gospel, launched this gospel with that theme, that Jesus is the light of the world. And so this isn't new, but what we see oftentimes in the Gospel of John is one of the, the primary signs of the Gospel of John is connected to a teaching of Jesus. So Jesus here says, I am the light of the world right before he places light in this man's eyes. I believe that God delights in opening the eyes of those who are blind. Not just those who are blind physically, but all of us who are blind. God opened the eyes of this man so he could see. I want you to hear that because God will open your eyes so that you can see. He loves you and he wants you to walk in a relationship with him. He wants you to be able to see clearly right from wrong, truth from untruth. God will open your eyes so that you can see. Susan and I have talked about this with some regularity recently and I think Kevin and I have even, in the world that we live in right now, It just seems that things are so upside down and there's so many things that just don't make sense and it's like people just can't see the hypocrisy before them. That that we can't see. You know, whether you're on one side or the other, it seems like those that are on the right, those that are on the left, uh, those that are religious, those that are not religious, they they can't see their own hypocrisy. And and I've gotten frustrated saying, why is it that that someone just can't see? Well, here's the bottom line. We've got to learn to expect the lost to act lost. A blind guy is going to stumble around. A blind person is not going to be able to see the truth. But God delights in opening my eyes so that I can see. And the more light that God gives me, the more truth that he gives me, the more I'm responsible for. Some people don't want to have their eyes opened. Because once their eyes are open, they become responsible for that truth. That's why John chapter 3, right after our favorite verse, John 3, 16, when you get into verse 17 and following, that passage says that that Jesus, he brings light to the world and that there's people that don't want to come to the light because they have evil and their deeds are evil. And, and, And those who have evil in their lives want to go to the darkness and they want to hide from the light because the light exposes their evil deeds. God delights in opening our eyes so that we can see the truth, the truth. 
the sad thing is many people don't want their eyes to be open. Hear this, and it's slightly different. God also opens your eyes so that others can see the truth. God wants to, wants to do a work in your life so that those who are looking at you can see the truth. God wants to use your situation. He wants to pull you out of your blindness. He wants to take you out of your difficulty. He wants to transform your life so that he can touch others' lives. God is not, not con as concerned about your comfort as he is about his purposes in transforming the world. And, and God will bring healing and God will do miracles in your life and my life, not for our benefit, but for his glory. So that the works of God can be seen in us. This man was born blind. He suffered for all of these years with blindness before he received his sight. But the purpose for his blindness was the same as the purpose for his, his eyes being open. And that was that the glory of God might be shown that the works of God could be displayed through him. If God has done a work in your life, he hasn't just done it for your benefit. He's done it because he wants to touch somebody else. He's opened your eyes, he's touched your life so that others can also see. And that's what we see flesh out. Now, one of the, the hilarious things here is these people were confused. You know, they're, they're looking at him going, wait a minute, is he the guy, is he not the guy? He looks like him. I wonder how, how could people for so long who had known this guy, who'd had a relationship with him, who'd seen him beg there at the gate of the city for all of these years, when he comes back seen, how could they not know it was him? Because well, he had changed. You know, sometimes when, when we see someone or we see something out of place, we have a hard time connecting that because we know that something, something's right, but something just doesn't add up. When a uh, I was pastoring at May. I, I had a, a dentist that I went to regularly over in Comanche. He went to, uh, he was a great guy. I went to First Baptist Comanche. Even when I moved here as pastor, I drove back uh, to May for a few years until I found a good dentist here. His name's Dr. Easley. And uh, many of the folks in our church started going to Dr. Easley. And so when we got into the building process, we built our new building. Everybody was telling him about the new church building that we we're building. And he said, yeah, I'm going to come visit y'all sometime. I'm going to come over there and see it. Well, one Sunday, a, a, a few weeks after we got into the new building, I'm going up and down the aisles and I'm shaking hands. And, and I greet this new visitor there. And I'm, hey, uh, it's good to meet you. Uh, I don't think I've ever met you before. What's your name? And he looked at me and he said, I'm your dentist. I said, oh my gosh, Dr. Easley. See, I had only ever seen him upside down. I'd never seen him right side up. I'd only ever seen him in his office. I hadn't seen him in that place. So these people who are confused, is that the guy? Is that the guy who was blind? He looks kind of like him, but no, it can't be him. They, they, had, they were shocked. There was such a transformation in his life. All they knew this guy of is that he was sitting over here with his blind and, and having to beg, and now he's walking back. He can see. He's upright. He's, you know, all of a sudden he's changed. God transformed the eyes of the blind man, not just for the blind man's benefit, but for everybody else's benefit. God has not saved your soul just so you could get your ticket punched to heaven. God saved your soul because he has a purpose and a plan that he wants to show himself in your life so others can see. And then the other thing that we see here is God, God, God delights in opening eyes so that we can see, so that others can see, but also because 
he loves to transform lives. That God's in the business of taking what's broken and fixing it. Of taking what, what is, is dying and healing it. Of taking what's destined to hell and turning it around for his glory that is destined for heaven. For taking us out of darkness, Paul says, and placing us into his glorious light. God is in the business of transforming lives. But I want you to notice a couple things when this transformation took place, a couple key ingredients. The first one is Jesus' mercy. And that's where it all begins. Jesus loved. Jesus cared. Jesus saw that man. That blind man would have no hope of receiving his sight if Jesus did not care for him. I want you to hear that. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, I think far too many of us forget this. We would have no hope if Jesus did not care for us. If he didn't love us. If he didn't choose to show mercy to me, I'd still be separated from God, hellbound. It begins with his mercy, with his love for us, not anything that's good in me. And then we also see Jesus' power, because I, I'm, I was powerless to save myself. This blind man was powerless to give himself sight. There was nothing he could do. He could have spit on the ground all day long, made all the paste he wanted, rubbed it all over his eyes, washed in that pool every day and not received his sight. But because of the power of God, he could see. I could go to church every Sunday. I could go to prayer every day. I could lock myself in the closet for an hour every day and have my quiet time. I could feed the poor I could travel around the world doing mission work. I could do all of those things, but if it weren't for the power of God to save my soul, I'd still be lost and dying and headed for hell. Jesus' love and Jesus' power are two ingredients that have to be there. But I want you to see two other ingredients, and I believe these two come from the other side, and they're truisms just as well. In that man, you saw two things, faith and obedience. That man could have, could have felt his eyes. What did you put on my eyes? That's gross. You spit on me. Why would you do that? This doesn't make any sense. I don't believe in any way that that's going to help me. He had to take a, have a measure of faith that what Jesus did was for his good. And then he had to be obedient. Jesus said, go to the pool and wash. So he did. He didn't argue with him. He didn't say, hey, that last guy I heard about you healed, he didn't have to go anywhere and wash. I don't know how far the pool of Siloam was. In fact, the scholars don't even know exactly where Jesus was at this point. So we don't know the distance that this man had to walk to go wash his eyes. He could have argued with Christ. You didn't make the last guy do that that you healed. But you know what he did? He accepted, he took Jesus at his word and he obeyed him. We will not see the, the power of God at work in our lives until we step out in faith and obey him. 
So you see this formula. His life was transformed when Jesus' mercy, his love, and his power moved the man to faith and obedience. Then you see God transform his life. The man was saved. The man was made to see. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to argue next week as we walk through this passage that he actually wasn't just physically enlightened, but he, he ultimately was spiritually enlightened. But the man could see because Christ transformed his life and he believed and obeyed. God can speak to you and he can move in your life, he can touch you, but until you're willing to trust him and obey him, you won't see his power at work. And then the last thing that I want us to see, and this is one of my favorite parts, and as we get down to the last part of this story, is, is this simple testimony of this man. Because it, here's the bottom line. God, God did something very simple. It was a very simple process. It wasn't an elaborate abracadabra. There weren't all kinds of things that he did. And so what happens is he, this man comes back, and he can see he's changed, he's transformed, and his friends start figuring it out. Yes, he's the one. And, and, and this even becomes almost more comical when you get into the next part of this chapter. But even here, what we see is, is they asked him, they said, then how were your eyes open? And he said, a man named Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. That simple testimony became a witness, not just to those that immediately heard him, but it began to spread throughout the town. It began to spread throughout the town until it got to the religious authorities, where the religious authorities called him in. They called his parents in. They called him back in. That simple testimony, that simple answer to those three questions began to transform a community. There were some people that got mad about it. Some people got upset at Jesus over healing the guy. Some people believed because of that simple testimony. I was blind. Jesus touched me. Now I can see. Three simple statements. I don't believe there's accidents in God's kingdom. I don't believe that this is coincidence. Back in December when the Lord put this passage on my preaching calendar for January the 31st of this year, not knowing for sure exactly how we were going to be going about things. We actually even, usually I, I separate it out and I leave a Sunday in there for D-Nail. I called Kevin and I said, I don't feel led to do that this year. If D-Nail happens, we'll figure it out. But I feel the Lord's called me to lay out the preaching calendar like this so that on Sunday, January the 31st, I would be preaching about how a simple testimony of one who was blind who came in contact with Jesus and now can see begin to transform not only him but an entire community. When on February the 1st, we're going to be releasing our first video testimony that the Lord put on Kevin's heart in January to ask every single person in our church to come film their testimony and ask three simple questions. What was your life like before Christ? How did you meet Jesus, and what's your life like now?
I believe that there, that there is no coincidence. I believe that God has a purpose for that, and I believe that every single person in this auditorium and those that are online, that you're a believer, that you, you have that story to tell, it's imperative that you tell that story. There will be people that you're connected with on social media that, don't, that, that, that you knew in high school that don't even know that you're saved. And your simple faith story may touch them. Your faith story may touch a friend of mine that my story doesn't touch. Because you can connect with them somehow from your history that I can't connect with them from my history. A simple testimony of faith, a simple witness. This is who I was before Christ. This is how I met Christ. And this is who I am now. This is what God's done in my life can be used of God to accomplish miracles. It can be used of God to transform lives because God didn't just save you so you could sit in a pew and have a little bit better life until you die and go to heaven. God saved you because he wants to use you for his glory, for his purposes that others might come to know him. So I'm going to encourage you, every single person in my hearing, whether you hear this next week when you're watching online, if you have that story of faith, and certainly if you're a church member here at First Baptist Watauga, I'm going to expect that you at some point reach out to Kevin, Matthew. You, you can do it online to schedule a, a, a time. You can go to fbcwatauga.org slash faith video, and that, there's a simple form on there. You can schedule a time to come record your video. Kevin and, and, and Matthew have gotten much, much better. They're great at doing video editing now. They'll make it look professional. They'll give it back to you so you can share your testimony with your friends. And then throughout the year, we're going to release those on our website so that people can see what God's doing to transform lives. My expectation is that every single born-again believer at First Baptist Church Watauga is faithful and willing to share their story. If you would say, Pastor, well, I'm not sure I have that story, then we need to talk. Because if you can't tell me what your life was like before you met Christ and what happened when you came to faith in Christ when you met Jesus and how you've changed then I would suggest that you're probably not saved. That you don't have a relationship with the living Lord. And as Jesus said, you'll die in your sins. So if you don't have that story, you're afraid that you can't tell that story. We need to talk. As your pastor, I need to know so that we can sit down and we can look at God's word. And we can talk about what it means to be touched by Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to be used by Jesus for his glory. So I'm going I'm to call on you to do one of two things today as we bring this, this service to a close. First, if you would say, I wouldn't know what I would say in answer to those three questions. I plead with you, either as soon as this service is over, or get online and, and, and send me an email or call or do something on our contact page to let us know that you're not certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. Because if you can't answer those three simple questions of how Jesus touched you and transformed your life and how you're different today, we need to talk about it. We need to look into God's word. 
if you can answer those three questions, and you know, you remember the time, you may not know the exact date or hour, but you remember when God moved in your life and you were changed and transformed. If you have that story to tell, I'm going to plead with you. <laughs> if, if you're a member of the, the First Baptist Watauga, I'm going to start putting pressure on you to tell your story. Because somebody, somebody that's lost today might hear your story and be saved. Hey folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you were encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged about hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.